Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to be back with you again. If you have a Bible, can you turn to John chapter 10? John chapter 10. Um, I think it was Craig that began by saying... God speaks to us, and he speaks to us in many different ways, and it's lovely seeing the children drawing and putting scriptures down on their papers and listening themselves to what the Holy Spirit might be saying. It's not just adults that have the privilege of hearing from God. Um, It's the privilege of the people of God to hear from him. And throughout our time worshipping in the various ways in which we were hearing from him through scripture, through prayers, it's been so encouraging to me, the consistent theme uh, that God has been speaking to us. And I I believe it's going to remain consistent through the remainder of this service as we look at this chapter in the Gospel of John together. Uh, This chapter contains maybe some of the most quoted verses in the Bible. And if you've been in the church for any length of time, you'd have heard several of these. I am the good shepherd. Have you heard that one before? That's found in this chapter. And maybe one of the most wonderful statements that Jesus makes, full stop, is found here. When he said, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. Isn't that a good thing to hear Jesus saying to us today? He's come that we might have life, and not just life, but abundant life. So let me ask you the question right from the beginning. What does an abundant life look like? When you think about an abundant life, what comes to mind? What is an abundant life? If you anticipate your life today and the future that you have before you. What does abundance look like for you? It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. All of us want a full life, don't we? We want an abundance sounds good. But the question is, what is this abundance that Jesus has come to give us? Have you received that abundant life yet? Are you enjoying abundance in your life. My hope is as we go through this chapter, not only are we going to find Jesus posing that question to our hearts, we're going to find by the Holy Spirit him revealing what that abundant life looks like. And I hope that we're all going to go from here celebrating and rejoicing that this is an abundant life, not just for us in the future, but for us right now (coughs) to enjoy and to know. I hope you want that. I certainly do. So let's Just read together. So we'll read 18 verses from John chapter 10. I'll read them all out and then we'll go through the passage. John chapter 10 verse 1. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him. And the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees the wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. And we'll just finish there. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation of God that we have received by your Holy Spirit showing Jesus to us. We thank you that we know God because Jesus has revealed God to us. And we thank you for this passage and all that is in here. I pray today, my biggest prayer, Lord, is that we would see you again, Lord Jesus Christ, anew, afresh, that we would know the love of God poured out into our hearts today, that we would know what it is to be led into green pastures by the Good Shepherd. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the passage starts in verse 1 with Jesus uh, saying this, Truly I tell you, and I just want to stop there. Now he has just um, healed uh, a blind man, performed an amazing miracle. It seems like there's no interruption between what's come before. The first thing that happens is he speaks to them. Truly, I tell you. Now, whenever Jesus starts his message off, his sermon off with that, you know something significant is coming. So the voice of Jesus is over the gathering. They hear him. The disciples hear him say it. Truly, I tell you. All ears prick up. There's a sense of anticipation. What's he going to say to us? What's the great revelation? What's the great insight that Jesus is about to give, there will be a sense of an anticipation. 
But we find out in verse 6 that the disciples had no clue what it was he was going on about. It says in verse 6, they didn't understand the meaning of what he'd said to them. Well, what was it that he said to them that was so confusing and so puzzling? If we just look back on it quick, uh, briefly. Anyone who, truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, so on and so forth. Now, let me ask you, what is so complicated about what he has just said to them that they don't understand what he's saying? Why is it so confusing? It's straightforward, isn't it? He's he's just talking to them about what a shepherd looks like, and yet they don't understand what he's going on about. He prefaced this by saying, truly, I tell you. Now, to try and help us get a sense for why I think it is the disciples are confused at this point, if I'd stood up this morning... And says something like this. I must tell you all something of great importance. What I'm about to tell you, I I tell you honestly and truly. Listen up. The person who crosses the road at the zebra crossing chooses the safest option. They are safe as they cross by the zebra. The person who just casually crosses the road without a thought of the traffic coming, is in great danger and great peril. The person who crosses by the zebra crossing is safe. Now, if I had said that, you would go, what is he going on about? Of course, of course we know crossing at the zebra crossing is the safest way to cross the road. Uh, Safer still, arguably, traffic lights. If I'd have started like that, it would have been confusing, not because of what I was telling you, because that's straightforward and understandable. The confusing thing is, why is he making this such an intense point? Why is it, it's a bit, that would be a bit odd. Now, in this context, Jesus is doing a similar thing. Many of those gathered there would have been shepherds, or at least if they weren't, they would have been very familiar with what a shepherd does, as a core profession, as a key profession at the time. Agriculture, shepherding, they're very familiar with it. This picture that he's painting them isn't a confusion. It's not like the first time you got taught algebra. It's not that kind of confusion. The, confusion. the confusing thing is, what is he doing? What is he saying? Now, Jesus is the master communicator. He's the masterful preacher. He is so excellent at ensuring his point, the point he's making, hits the mark just where he wants it to. This is a very uh, clever oratory skill that he's using. What he's doing is he's establishing attention. Because as he's told this, I'm imagining them looking around at each other. What is he going on about? What is he going on about? So they're all listening in, going, is it, I don't understand, what, what is this? See, so he could have just stood up, and he could have just said, I am the good shepherd. And then he could have just told the parable of what a shepherd does. But he doesn't do that. He draws them in. He paints a picture. He gets their attention. Because what he's about to tell them 
is some of the most significant teaching they would ever hear, ever hear. So as I started out by saying, included in this passage are some of the most important verses in the whole Bible, which we're familiar with. This is the occasion where they're they're spoken for the first time. Jesus wants them to hear this. What he's about to teach them is of great significance and it is of great importance. And so the picture is of a shepherd with sheep. And every sheep is precious to the shepherd. Every sheep is known by the shepherd. Every sheep can be named by the shepherd. Sheep are vulnerable. They're vulnerable from wild animals. And they're vulnerable to thieves. They are a vulnerable animal, but they're a precious commodity. They have to be looked after. They have to be taken care of. This is the point that Jesus makes initially. It's confusing to them. They don't understand the significance of it. He then obviously goes on to explain it to them. Verse 7, he says, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. At that point, he's alluding to the Pharisees, the scribes, the false teachers, the false prophets, of which there were many at this point in history. And he's saying, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus isn't saying, I am a gate. He is saying, I am the gate. What is a gate? <laughs> a gate is an entrance point, but it's also a barrier. So a gate is, presumably if you have a garden, you have a gate that allows you in and out. You have a gate into a field, and Jesus is saying, I am the gate. I am the barrier. I am the access point. Now, if he is the gate... You you then ask, the gate to what? (coughs) Presumably it is the place. So he's speaking in this context of this parable of shepherding. And he's saying, I am the gate to the place for the sheep. Now it's it's an image which is easy for us to be able to think about. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the story, the secret garden. Do you remember that story? And you have this manor, this big stately home, and you've got this land. And on this land is a garden. And this garden has been hidden for decades. And this garden has a gate, and this gate has been hidden. And there's a key to the gate, and the key has been hidden. And then the story continues when the key is found... And then the gate is found. And then the gate is opened. And inside there is this incredible garden which has been untouched for decades. And it's it's meant to be this magical place. It's meant to be this wonderful place. This exciting, incredible place. And the story is all about that garden being explored and being known. Now, Jesus is saying, I'm the gate to the pen, the place of pasture. Now, we're British, so we quite like the thought of a garden. That works better for us, especially in a lush home counties context like this. If we imagine Jesus being the gate to the garden, 
the place of beauty, the place of peace, the place of security. That sounds like an amazing place to be, doesn't it? That sounds like the kind of place we want to dwell in. So Jesus is saying, if that's where you want to be, if you want to be in a place of security, peace, abundance, fullness, there's a way you get there, and you get there through me. I am the gate. I am the access point to that place. And it's the place that we spend our lives trying to get to. It's the, the majority of Billingshurst aren't in this room today, but the majority of Billinghurst, Billingshurst is trying to get to this place. They're trying to find this place. And they're looking in all different ways, and they're trying all different types of gates and types of doors to get there, And Jesus is saying, there's only one way to get to that place, and it's through me. You must look to me, is what he is saying. You must look to me. If you're looking for security, if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for abundance, if you're looking for fullness, you must look to Jesus. We all must look to Jesus today. We mustn't look to a man. We mustn't look even to the church The church is there to point us to Jesus. That's the purpose of the church. This is why this church exists. The church here is not saying we are the gate. The church is saying Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way to which you get that fullness of life, that abundance of life. So we must look to Jesus today. I'm here for that very reason. I I don't care what you think about me. I care what you think about Jesus. My whole purpose and existence in life is to tell people about him. There's no greater thrill for me when I hear of people enjoying Jesus and coming to him. It's the greatest privilege any one of us can have is see, who knows Jesus and loves Jesus is seeing someone coming into that knowledge and coming into that experience of him. So let's carry on. Looking at the text then. So he's saying, I am the gate, I'm the entrance point. Then he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand. Verse 10, he speaks of thieves. A thief comes... Only to steal, kill, and destroy. Again, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. It's again a very simple picture. It's a picture of a thief coming and snatching the sheep away. It's a picture of a wolf coming and killing the sheep. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's saying, there is is a thief out there. There is a destroyer, there is a killer who has no interest in the well-being of the sheep whatsoever. This one has come to rob, this one has come to take, this one has come to destroy. This is who the thief is. He's, now, that's not me, I'm the good shepherd. That's not who I am. In fact, saying I would lay down my life for the sheep. Far from coming to kill them, I would lay down my life 
for the sheep. Now we have to know in terms of understanding this parable that Jesus is teaching, we have to know our place in this parable. And who are we? We are the? We're the sheep. And, you know, when, when you ask one of your kids, what, what, if I ask one of my boys, what animal do you want to be? They've never said sheep. So it isn't a, you know, it's a lion or, you know, something like that. Now one says, I want to be sheep. Now we have to understand Jesus, when he thinks of you and I, and he thinks, now what animal are, are my people most like? He comes up with sheep. So why? Well, here's the thing. Let's just think for a moment. And this is all set in a spiritual context. He's talking about who we are, where we're at spiritually, but it permeates into everything. Have you ever felt spiritually lost? Have you ever felt spiritually alone? Have you ever felt like you're not cared for? Have you ever felt like you don't have your shepherd nearby you? Have you ever felt like you are being attacked? Have you ever felt vulnerable to attack? Have you ever felt helpless? Have you ever felt insecure? Have you ever felt alone? And I think if all of us are being honest, we'd say yes. Why? Because we're sheep, spiritually. Jesus knows this because as we were hearing earlier on, he's our creator. He knows what we're like. He knows how vulnerable we are. He knows how easily we are exposed. And he knows what we need in order to live in a place of security, in order to live in a place of abundance, in order to live in a place of peace. He knows what you and I need. Because he has made us. We are fed constantly a, a, a message which undermines and contradicts this one. And there are many bad shepherds out there. Pornography wants to take you somewhere that doesn't give life but death. How many are led astray by that bad shepherd? Greed, selfishness, and we're sold this, we're sold this light all the time. Consume and have, and it will be good for you. My wife keeps pointing out to me this poster which is around at the moment, which says, shop now. Pay later. Isn't that the title? Shop next. And what is a new credit card company? Very. Very. I don't know. But that's on the bus stops. Have, consume. It will be good for you. Now, there are all kinds of bad shepherds out there that are wanting to draw you away. And Jesus is saying, I haven't come to steal, kill, and destroy. What has he come to give? Abundant life. I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. Please, I want to have that. You stop anyone in the street and say, do you want to have abundant life? They're going to say, yes. 
And then they might say to you, and who are you? And you say, oh, I'm a Christian. I go to Billingshurst Family Church. And they go, see you later. Because <laughs> I don't think you've got the answer. Because many people's idea of church is not abundant life. If we're being honest. So I want people to come to this church. Because I think in this church there is life. And there's abundant life. So the question I asked you right at the beginning was this. What does an abundant life look like to you? What was it that came into your mind? What does an abundant life look like to you? All right, now let me ask you this question. Is it necessary that the Son of God die in order for you to have that abundant life? Because if it isn't, then you've not got it yet. What is the one thing which, if you could have right now in this instance, would thrill you more than anything else? What is the one thing that you're longing for, the one thing you really need? Now, let me ask you this question. Does that thing, if you were to have it right now, does it have the potential to continue to thrill you in 500 years' time? There's some affirming comments. So, and I think it's an important question. Because we think we know what we need. Jesus is saying, he knows what you need more than you realize. He's saying, I'm the good shepherd wanting to lead you into a place of abundance. Now, there is an enemy who is wanting to rob you of that life and to convince you that you can find it elsewhere. Okay, so let's answer the question, shall we? What is an abundant life? Let's look at it in verse 14 because Jesus answers the question for us. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That, my friends is what an abundant life is. An abundant life is being known by Jesus and is knowing Jesus. What were we singing about earlier on? Knowing you, Lord Jesus. There is no greater thing. That is an abundant life. That is fullness in life. That is something which the Apostle Paul was able to say, and we heard it read out from Philippians chapter 3 right at the beginning, We heard, I consider all things a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, my Lord. That means that you can have materially nothing and have spiritually everything. It means that you can be materially poor but spiritually rich. It means that In the eyes of the world, you might have very little. But in the eyes of God, you've got abundance. That's what the gospel is. He, though rich, became poor. So that we, though poor, might become rich. That's the gospel. Richness is found in knowing Jesus Christ. Now let me say to you, if that answer isn't satisfying... 
if that isn't the abundant life you're wanting, if that's a disappointing answer, then I would put to you, you, you may have an idol in your life that needs to be toppled. And I don't say that judgmentally because we all know the temptation to worship idols. All of us do. And in this life where we are fed far more often than what we're fed here, a doctrine of untruths, it's very easy for idols to go up in our hearts and in our lives. Common idols, success, respect, relationships, heartfelt longings. And then we can look to Jesus and we can, we can kind of get angry with him because he's not providing us with the kind of abundant life that we think we need. But he's a shepherd. And I'm not a shepherd. Um, there, is there a shepherd in this church? There certainly was, I think, at one point in time. There was, wasn't there? So there are shepherds around. If you, sometimes when you grab a lost sheep, the sheep doesn't turn around and go, Oh, you found me. Sometimes there's a struggle because of the anxiety and the fear that that sheep is in. Sometimes a shepherd has to literally grab hold of it. And you see the pictures of the shepherd, the sheep over the shepherd's shoulders like this. I've got you. I'm holding it. Now I'm taking you where you need to go. That's how Jesus will often do it in order to grab hold of us and lead us into the abundance that he knows that we need. What does this knowledge really consist of? So so the answer Paul says is, the answer Jesus says here is, being known by me and knowing me. And Paul says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. Elsewhere he says, I resolve to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. So what you find is the knowledge that Paul is speaking about, the knowledge of Christ is a knowledge that is caught up in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the knowledge that is, um, it seems, the knowledge he is speaking about. There's a knowing in the moment, the power and the grace of God, but there's a knowing what he has done. And Jesus says here, I lay down my life and I raise it up again. Jesus is doing the same thing in this passage. He's making his death and he's making his resurrection core to what it means to know him. And so for us to have the abundant life that we long for, you need to know his death, you need to know his resurrection. Why is that so important? Why is it so important? It's so important for so many reasons. It's so important because it says all of your strivings, all of your endeavors, all of your hard work, everything that you're giving yourself to (coughs) cannot save you. Only the death of Jesus Christ can. So that lifts from us the need to perform because it's his performance which counts most. And he's done it. His death has done it. And it's hope. It's hope. What hope does a terminally ill person need? What hope does a bereaved person need? It's the hope of resurrection. It's the hope that this life is brief and momentary, but the life to come is eternal and everlasting. 
And this is what Jesus speaks of over and over again. Eternal life. Everlasting life. If you believe in me, you will have eternal life, he says. Peter turned to Jesus after the narrative in John 6, which was very confusing because he's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It's all very confusing. Jesus is again pointing to the cross. And Peter says, because all the crowd leave him at this point, it comes after the feeding of the 5,000, that narrative. All the crowd are before and thousands of people. Jesus says these words. The crowd will disperse. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, are you going to? And Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. Where shall we go? These are the words of eternal life. And in 500 years from now, they will really matter whether you've received them. Really will matter. And the offer is for us all. It's a wonderful gospel. It's, it's a glorious, wonderful message. We can leave here today peaceful, knowing the good shepherd is leading us. We can leave here today full of life, abundant life. We might be doddery. We may not be as sharp as we'd like to be, but we can be full of abundant life today. Amen. Because it's found in knowing Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? That's good knowledge. Knowing him. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus. It's funny, I was going to preach something completely different yesterday. And I felt God say to me, I felt prompted, preach from John 10. And then during the worship, the Holy Spirit speaking to us about knowing Jesus. Speaking to us from Philippians 3. Speaking to us about a celebration. Speaking to us about being saturated. The rain. The fullness of God coming to us. That's why the Holy Spirit has come. And then in this sermon, this is all about knowing Jesus. So why are you here today? For him, to know him. What does he want you to know today? He wants you to know Jesus. that's, That's why we're here. And there's no greater reason for being here than that. Why don't we stand? We'll have, we'll take communion together now. I'll ask the band to come as well and to lead us. So in in communion, in the bread and the wine, we're given by Jesus himself tangible objects that communicate to us his death and his resurrection. Why don't we stand? Let's stand together. Jesus says you need this truth... This truth is something that you need to sing about. This truth is something you need to hear about. It's also a truth you need to eat. It's something you've got to eat. It's something you've got to take into you. Which is why he's given us bread and wine as symbols. To point us to this greater reality. Now I don't know what anyone is going through. I, I know a few of you here, but not very well. I can guarantee there are some of you going through some incredibly difficult times right now. And I can imagine there may even be some people here who've been teetering on the edge of giving up on their faith. And uh, you're, you're hearing these words because God loves you. 
because Jesus loves you and because he wants to strengthen you. So, so let's close our eyes, and I'm going to lead us to go and take the bread and the wine in a moment. Father God, we thank you that your Son, our Lord Jesus, is the Good Shepherd. I thank you that when he spoke these words, I lay down my life for the sheep. He spoke them knowing that that was literally what he would do. We thank you, Jesus, that you died in our place, that we might not taste real death, which is separation from you, but that we might enjoy everlasting, abundant life, which is found in knowing you. Knowing you, Lord Jesus, there is no greater thing. Everything else is lost compared. So I pray as we go to the table right now, speak to us where we're at. Strengthen us, I pray. Feed us these words. May we all know abundant life here today and not look anywhere else. You are the gate. You are the good shepherd. You lead us to a place of fullness. Amen. Amen. So I'd encourage you, if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you have said yes to him, then the table, the bread and the wine is for you. It's his gift to you, to strengthen you and to speak to you today. So as the band leads us, we've got tables over to my left. I think there's a table at the back. Find your table, take the bread, take the wine, and thank Jesus for all he's done for you.